Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Welcome to Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Brian Whelan of Wheelhouse. Brian is perhaps the youngest journeyman on the L.A. music scene, racking up an impressive list of credits as a band member and sideman with artists like The Broken West, Mike Stinson, Randy Weeks, Tony Gilkison, Eugene Edwards, Dwight Yoakam, and a host of others. He has stepped out of the shadow next to the drum riser, swapped his bass for a Telecaster, and put together a new band called Wheelhouse in order to showcase his considerable talents as a singer, songwriter, and performer. Welcome to Independence Day, Brian. Thanks for having me, Joe. I uh, couldn't be happier that you're here. You're a very, very talented guy and a good friend of mine. And I appreciate you coming in on these early stages of Independence Day when we're trying to get off the ground here. It's like a, we're like a little bird. Yeah, we got, it's time to push it out of the nest, it's man. Right. It's, it's well, like it's, me. I'm stepping out of the shadows, man. Exactly. It's, it's, it's out. It's out. So you've got this new band. It's called Wheelhouse, which is kind of a play That's on right. your name. Is there any other, any other association with that other than it works with your name and you dig the word? Well, and I use the phrase, that would be right in your wheelhouse constantly. And then one day it, uh, it just clicked yeah. that it would go with my last name. And, uh, and that was that. It was pretty easy. Excellent. And then we, we were just talking about this before we were on air. Picking a band name is one of the most annoying... I mean, there's a lot of annoying things about being in a band. There's a lot of really great things, too. But one of the most annoying things about being in a band that I've ever found is finding a band name that someone else hasn't taken in 2011. Yeah, there aren't too many. And uh, and certainly, you know, with Wheelhouse, there are, there are many. Uh, but I, I just... Uh, I don't think you can think about it very much, you know? It's just... There are just so many bands, and if you if you if you find something you like, even a little bit, then you're way ahead of the pack, which which is I think what you're saying. Yeah. So I like Wheelhouse, and even though there are are probably ten other Wheelhouse bands, I I'm sticking with it because I found one that I liked. Yeah, yeah, and that's just it. You know, it's it's almost like the the first the first one to the top of the mountain gets to keep the name anyway. Uh, well, hopefully. We'll have to talk to our lawyers about that. I'm not sure if that's how it works. And I'm sure. I'm sure that top got... of the mountain defense is good, though. I like that. Yeah. Well, that's just it. You know, if you if you can prove its use in commerce, you know, there's there's certain. I actually I remember I called into a music radio show once about I wanted to have my band called the Buzz Aldrins, which I thought was just a cool name. But Buzz is still alive, and if you know anything about Buzz Aldrin, the guy's an ass kicker. Like he, um, you know, have you ever heard of lunar conspiracy theorists? There's these, these kooky people who think that we didn't land on the moon, that it was all a stage thing to beat the Russians back in the Cold War. So, you know, Buzz takes umbrage with this. And, like, there's this one particular guy that shows up at all these conventions, and Buzz punched him in the face. <laughs> you know? You don't want to deal with that. Well, that's exactly it. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to tempt fate with Buzz Aldrin. Because I, I respect the guy. <laughs> yeah. This is Buzz Aldrin we're talking about. You so, don't want to incite violence, yeah, from a guy like that. Anyway, all right. So let's get to the music first. I want to give you guys something to chew on so we know what uh, you have a point of reference when I'm talking to Brian for the next hour. Again, this is Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. We have our guest, Brian Whelan of Wheelhouse, and Ross Flournoy is going to be jumping in just a little bit later. He's uh, the producer of the record, is that correct? That's correct. Produced the record, and those guys have been bandmates for a while. So this is the first track. For a while, it's actually, I, I, the, the album doesn't have a name or sequence yet, right? The album doesn't have a name or a sequence, but okay. it's, uh, it's getting there. It's in the final stages. Yeah, and the tracks, I, you know, you gave me a CD, and they sound fantastic. I'm really, really, oh, I'm, I'm, I've been digging them, you know, every week. I wonder... I get, I get a disc a week from the artist who's going to be on. I'm like, okay, what's this going to be about? And I, I really, really like these tracks. They're really, really cool. Oh, thank you. Um, and this track is called Sharp Teeth of Love by Wheelhouse. 
That is Wheelhouse. We've got the artist from Wheelhouse, the, the front man, the singer, the songwriter, the guitar player, the lead dude from Wheelhouse in the studio today on Independence Day. This is Brian Whelan. Again, Brian, thank you very much for being on Independence Day tonight. Right, anytime. Uh-oh. One more time? I said anytime. We got it now. There we go. We got it now. I All love right. this guy. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Valentino, we are live. We are good to go. Okay, so now that we we seem hopefully we've got the bugs worked out. I'm glad we're not on a, a, a space mission. We were just talking about yeah. We were just talking about Buzz. Buzz Aldrin had all his he had all the bugs worked out. Well, that's just it. You know, or that, did he? Well, that's just it. We can we we can screw up here, but like if we screw up, nothing. It's we just sound funny. But if you screw up on the way to the moon, you're pretty well screwed. You're toast. Pretty well screwed. Yeah. So. Let's just jump into this. I've got a lot of things I want to ask you about, and we've got the full hour to do it. We're going, right, to, play, right. we're going to play three more tracks from the record, um, you know, this Wheelhouse project. How, how far back does this go? Like when, when, you know, Broken West kind of, when did, I guess the, the first question should be, the, your brand you were in pro- previously with Ross, mm-hmm. uh, the Broken West, that started out as the Broke Down probably, what, seven years ago maybe? Six or so? Yes, uh, about seven years ago, six and a half years ago. And I was... Uh, I joined the band in 05, I believe, and that band did two records on a label called Merge Records, which is a great label, and a ton of touring. And then the final tour was, I believe, in March of 2009. Is that right, Ross? I think so. March of 2009, we went out and opened for AC Newman from the New Pornographers, uh, Carl Newman of the New Pornographers, and that was a great great tour, and that was our final show. Uh, Final show is actually... I'm wrong. The final show was in the summer of that year for Merge's 20-year anniversary. And then, uh, you know, from that summer on, uh, you know, we were all just kind of trying to find new things to do. And 
that was when, uh, you know, around Christmas time, the holidays of that year is when I started writing, writing this batch of songs, uh, some by myself and some with Ross here. And I started it at a studio uh, with Raymond Richards, who recorded and engineered uh, the first Broken West record. And I started the project there and then moved up into deep into the valley, in the heart of Van Nuys, with a guy named Chris Furman. I moved the record up there. Uh, and by the following summer, um, could, we, were, we were well on our way. Could, could you feel the porn? Yeah, we could. <laughs> in the studio. And we could feel nice, the porn you, all around. We could feel it. We could see it. Like, we could hear it over the fences. Some Sometimes I just, I drive through the valley and I, I can, like, I, I. Just to get the vibe. I, I can, well, no, I can just, I can feel the porn around me. <laughs> you know, it, for those of you, I, we've got a lot of listeners who are streaming from the central time zone and other places because I know our, our, our signal strength isn't that terribly strong. So <laughs> for those of you who are uninitiated, the basic idea is, it, I'd say, I don't know, what do you think? 90% of the pornography you've ever seen in your entire life has been has been filmed in the San Fernando Valley? Uh, certainly, and, and everything that you see that looks professional is certainly there. A lot of the amateur stuff, certainly you could uh, you could make that anywhere, Bangladesh, uh, Des Moines. But uh, anything that has looks like it has real lighting um, and all that kind of stuff, you know, it's definitely made up there. Production, high production High value. production stuff, yeah. Yeah, what, what is it? Is it on Cahuenga that the Vivid Video Building is there? I'm like, you come up or yeah, the 101 it is. and the Vivid it Building is. Right It's there. right when uh, Ventura Boulevard turns into Cahuenga, I believe. Yeah, I, I had a former, former guitar player, bandmate, who was a discerning pornography consumer. And I, I remember him one time explaining to me that, that he really liked the Vivid stuff because of the production value and the quality. Right, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. And uh, some people like the uh, the, the kind of lo-fi stuff, and I, I'm a, I'm a hi-fi guy. It's a lot I like say. it's a like music taste. God, how do we get here? This is amazing. This is, but I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's just so spontaneous. Exactly. That's what's how it's supposed to be. So, I, I digress. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's pull it back to music just a little bit. So, um, now in in the Broken West, you know whether this was something intentional or not, it seemed you, know, you guys were kind of indie darlings, and you had kind of an indie sound. We we were talking uh, just a couple of days ago about how you know there were the kind of the philosophy was like no guitar solos. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of a I don't say rigid, but it was a kind of a, and I don't want to say formula, but it was certainly there were it seemed like there were some rules. I mean, there or, was definitely there was definitely a formula, and I think it was, um, you know, probably. Uh, in the beginning of that band, uh, probably even before I was even in the band, was the kind of most organic that it was. It was the most, uh, like, you know, people, you know, Ross and Dan would, had songs that they kind of brought in and they would work on each other's songs and the band would play both of their both of their, their compositions. And that was kind of, I think that was probably when it was the most organic because, you know, as soon as we were signed, I think that there was maybe some pressure that we put on ourselves. Like you say, there, there were some people that considered us to be indie darlings. And so that was when it kind of started to get to be more of a rule-based thing. And like, we should be doing this and people are going to think this about us, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, the first record was very much a kind of power pop thing in, in the big star, excuse me, in the big star vein. But, uh, you know, the second record was kind of like a East Coast, uh, you know, Williamsburg indie rock kind of thing. A little yeah. bit, not not totally, but it was definitely more more than the first record. The first record was a jangle pop thing, and then the second record was more icy and synthy and everything. Yeah, and, and the genesis of the project. I mean, I remember seeing you guys very very early on somewhere or other, and it was um, 
it was, you know, I don't want to say old country, but it was certainly twangier. Yeah, you know, well, we was, used to have pedal steel. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty twangy at first, and it, and it gradually became less and less of that. And I don't know if they were rules per se, but, I mean, it, it definitely... It was definitely kind of going, going in that, going away from that. Yeah, and it's good when bands change because you know you, you stagnate and and then you're stagnating. You know, it's like people, a lot of you know bands on big labels, they'll make a record, it's really really successful, and that becomes a curse because then the label then goes to you and says, okay, well here's another six hundred grand, but we need you to do that again. Mm-hmm. And so then you're then as an artist, you know that's that's the, that's the difference between or the the, the bunning of the heads between commerce and art, where you feel like okay, you want to make good art, but then they made money with it, so now they want more. You know, you got to, right. in the words of the Big Lebowski, you got to feed the monkey. You got to feed the monkey. Well, and I should say that uh, working uh, at working for Merge Records is uh, has been, for me, a great, great experience because the only pressure and problems that we had were ones that we kind of brought upon ourselves, really. I, they they uh, never, you know, sent anything back to us and said, you know, we don't hear a single, uh, we want you to change this or that. Do they do they do, do they have singles anymore? Do people do that kind of thing? Well, yeah, they do because that's how that's how you make money on iTunes is you have yeah. one song at a time. Yeah, I guess so that's single true. is actually a great it's kind of coming back a little bit. But uh, you know, I would say I mean I really like I really liked our second record. I thought it was very strange, but it you know again you know Merge never said hey you know you have to make this one more like the more like the first one. They, Even, like, they like the second record better. Than the they like the second record better. And this, by the way, this is this is uh, Ross Flournoy. He is the check one. Oh, you, yeah, you can back up on that. It's not an SM58. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm used to. I know, me too. So, but this is Ross. He is the producer. Welcome, Ross, to Thank Independence you. Day. Thanks. And we are in negotiations to bring you into our studio. Uh, if we can meet your demands and your tour rider with the Oompa Loompas <laughs> and the and the jelly beans and all that all stuff. All I need is a bottle of Jack Daniels. That's all I need. <laughs> and that's, that's I mean, I'm pretty pretty flexible. Fairly easy. So yeah. this is Ross chiming in. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting. I just want to make sure our listeners knew who was speaking. Sorry, I, I was just saying that, yeah, I think they actually like that second record better than the first one. Uh, yeah, see, it certainly seems that way. Uh, I, You know, we, we really got lucky with them. You know, yeah. they, didn't, they didn't ever, you know, the first record was done before anything happened. I mean, we sent them the record and they said, we'll, we'll take it. So there was no kind of feedback on that, no critiques of that. They just took it and put it out and it got a really good response. And then we made a record that was kind of well to the left of that and gave it to them. And it got a horrible response. Uh, Critically, it didn't sell anything. The band broke up, uh, but Merge liked it and and we like it. Yeah. 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 So uh, what I'm getting at is, um, so when you, when you went to form wheelhouse, um, you know, was was there something conscious within you that said, "Okay, this is a new philosophy. This is my own thing." Like, did you think through it, or, or did it, was it something that was very organic to where you you just kind of started doing what you did and let it fall into place? I mean, which which one was it? Was it intentional or was it an organic process? Uh, no, it was intentional. I I had been uh, a side man uh, exclusively for many many years. I I had a band that I fronted that that did very poorly. Um, many years ago and and that that one disintegrated in 2003 was was that in LA that was in LA that was a band called the smooth pursuit and that was how I met Gene I mean it was the best thing about that band was all the people that I met I met Gene Edwards and I met all these other people I met Ross uh, you know it's all it was all during that time um, but then you know five or six years passed where I was just I was exclusively a sideman and uh, I'm not sure exactly what the reasons were for that but i think you know it was a conscious decision to kind of step uh, as you say out of the 
the shadows of the drum riser and and kind of front a band. And I'd certainly been, you know, writing some stuff that I had more confidence in and playing a lot more guitar. So, uh, you know, I, I just, I figured it was time, you know, and there was, you know, there was no more Broken West to take up, to take up all the time um, on the road and in the studio and just doing all that yeah. know, logistical stuff too. It's definitely a different skill, you know, because I've done a lot of side work over the years on any number of instruments and, it's a different skill set when you when you're a side person you're 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 a support person you know you're making the lead guy sound good or if it's a bad or a, it's a band effort rather you know you, maybe you contribute but there's always someone that's kind of like the driving force or like mm-hmm. the, the 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 writer or the person who's kind of like the leader of the situation right, so right and well and that's just behind the scenes too i mean you know there's someone that has to actually front the band too and that to me has been you know, during the songs, it's great, you know, and I can lead the band, but then, you know, the the song stops and I'm waiting for someone someone else to say something. And it's like, no, dude, it's you. Like, you're, you Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just it. There's, there's another, that's the performance aspect of it. Yeah. When you're on stage, you know, just like you said, you're done with the song. And as a side man, it's like, okay, that's when I go take a drink of my beer. Mm-hmm. You know, let the, let the, let the front person, male or female, tell a dumb joke. Right, right. Or, well, there's, there's a lot less pressure uh, doing that. You know what I mean? I'm very, very relaxed being a sideman because yeah. I just don't feel like anyone is looking at me. They're looking at the drummer and the singer and it's just like, you yeah. can just do the job. And, and and that's just it. You've done, you know, you play a lot of instruments, like I said, in Wheelhouse, you play guitar, you, you sing. I'm, I, but I know for a fact I've seen you perform on at least two other instruments. And, you know, I guess what I'm getting at, Brian, for those of you who are uninitiated, Brian has done a lot of work on bass over the years, which is kind of like the least glorified instrument in any band, I, I think. It's the, I think it's the glue that holds a band together. Without the bass, it sounds terrible. But it's, it's so important, but you don't get any glory playing bass. Anytime I've ever subbed on bass, I feel like I could be, I could be backstage. Yeah. And nobody would even you know anything. You could. Any- you could be backstage. You could, you could look terrible. You could do... Yeah, as long as you're playing it right, no one will know. No one will care. I could be wearing a grimace suit, and they, they still <laughs> yeah. wouldn't even notice. Could be wearing that I was a there. hockey mask. Totally. And just, yeah, they don't care. Anyway, so what, Andy, I'd like to play some more music. We'll talk a little bit more about your sideman stuff after this because you've done so much, and it's it's like I, I I'm always impressed by your resume, informal though it may be. Oh uh, well, uh, thank I, you. It's you know your list of credits is impressive given your age. Given anybody's age, this would be an impressive list of credits. So you've got a lot of you've got a lot of miles ahead of you, my friend. So, but in the meantime, this is Wheelhouse again. There is no name for the record. You guys are still working on tracks. This is a track called Everything, and this is another track that I like quite a bit off the record. And uh, we'll get to this. This is Everything from the upcoming Wheelhouse record.
Takes my mind I can't seem Not to think about I put on a hell of a show People only know what they know And they know it I got the world That is Wheelhouse. We have Brian Whelan in the studio with us on Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong. I am your host every Wednesday night from 7 to 8 p.m. here on Lancer Radio. You can also tune in to us at 89.1 FM on your FM dial if you are in the Pasadena Metroplex. I'm not sure that the signal gets far beyond that. But thankfully, we have the internets and the internets being at our disposal. You can hear us worldwide if you are on vacation in Shanghai. You are in Des Moines. We talked about Des Moines before. You can listen to us in Des Moines. You can listen to us anywhere you happen to be. If you've got a smartphone, you can stream us on the smartphone, too. So tune into Independence Day every Wednesday night here on Lancer Radio. I will be your host with a host of really, really great Los Angeles artists and hopefully some touring musicians we get through town from time to time. So, again, we have Brian Whelan with us. Brian is an extremely talented guy on several different instruments, and also his wingman, Ross Flournoy. They are both of the band Wheelhouse, and as well as Ross's new band, which is Apex Manor. Is that correct? That's correct, yeah. Ross's new band is called Apex Manor, and we have basically, over the last year, year and a half, been been trading services. Uh, Ross plays lead guitar in my band as a producer on the record, and co-wrote both of the songs that you have played sharp teeth of love and everything we wrote together and then i've done a lot of the same things for him i play guitar in his band i uh, was a co-producer on the record and just worked worked a lot on that on in the pre-production angle having musical allies is something that's very very important music is it's a rough and tumble world and it's full of a lot of people who got into music because they couldn't function in the actual world so having people you can trust in the band having people you know will show up 
you know, you know, drunk or not, they, they will be there. You know, having people you can rely on is a really, really key facet. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy you guys have one yeah, another. Well, Ross has always been there for me, drunk yeah, or always, not. Always drunk. <laughs> always drunk, drunk or not. Yeah. So, well, that's just it. You know, that's, <laughs> that, that's a very rich tradition in music. You know, yeah, as long rich as you, tradition of drinking in music, that's as, for sure. As long as you're there, it doesn't matter what yeah. state you're in. <laughs> always be ready to play yeah no matter what kind of state you're in exactly I mean, well what are those stories it. about about john lennon at one point being so stoned that they had to record his parts lying down oh, in wow. the studio like they had to put the mic because he couldn't stand up so they had him record the vocal lying down i heard he was really stoned when he came up with the with the piano intro for obladi oblada obladi i mean i know a lot, a lot of people actually don't like that that song very much but i it always was thought a, that was a paul song it was a paul song and it was very very slow Oh, it right. was like very slow, and they did a million takes, and then John showed up, and he was really, really messed up on, on heroin, and he uh, said, you know, I'm so stoned, but I know that this is how the song should go, <laughs> and sat down and went. Yeah. So anyway, don't well, do drugs. Well, <laughs> don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. Uh, but that's well, that's just it. The, I mean. Stone, drunk, high, rip, twisted, whatever you want to call it. The Beatles wrote the book and invented book binding and invented paper yeah, they, and they, invented they, they movable type. They screwed it up and, for all of the rest of us. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> and so, now we all think we could do it. Ex- exactly, exactly. So, again, this is Brian Whelan from the band Wheelhouse. And we're talking about your new record, which is coming out. Do you have any idea when you're thinking about this? Might this we might see the light of day? Well, what I have are a, a bunch of songs that are mixed and done. And How I, many would you say? I have uh, six or seven that are definitely on there. I have another six or seven more that are kind of uh, like on the B team. And what I'd really like to do is I'm trying to actually write a few more to kind of finish it out. And I feel like, uh, I feel like you know, it's definitely going to be done this year. Okay. I don't know exactly when, but I'll have something. And, I, you know, I don't know if, uh, if it's going to get put out officially or if I'll just be putting it out myself. It's always very hard to say. I, I know... You know, for every other artist I know, you know, singer-songwriter who does this has a different situation and a different story. There's a million ways to do it, obviously. So, The old paradigm is gone. You know, it used to be, you know, you everybody in my generation grew up with the old system, which was, you know, you built up a following, you recorded some stuff on two-inch at home in your little hometown of, like, for me it was Chicago, and then you, like, shopped it, you know, and that was like this this concept that nobody really understood exactly how it happened but that's how but then you know something then you got the attention or you got a grassroots thing and you got the attention of some label person somewhere some a and r guy showed up at your show and then you they kind of took you on the ride from there with varying levels of happiness or <laughs> defeat or failure or tragedy but now the paradigm has shifted so drastically there's like you said there's a there's a tr- there's as many ways to do this as there are musicians and there are a lot of musicians <laughs> so the internet has done great things for us. It's allowed us to to collaborate with people around the country, around the world. It's allowed us to promote ourselves as musicians, and but at the same time, it's made it somehow more complicated because now, now even though the old path kind of sucked, at least you knew what the path was. Now it's like you don't even know what it is. Yeah, I feel like uh, it's six of one, half dozen of the other. You know, you don't, you know. You're not you're not going to make any money on your records anymore per se on the actual songs and that that's just not going to happen and so that as you say that model is just gone um you know with the with the kind of advent of the internet it's like you know people can get the music anywhere they want they don't have to pay for it so you have to kind of let go of that and and, and 
figure out some other way to do it. And like you say, there are advantages too. You can promote yourself, uh, like you say, and it's a lot cheaper. You can do it yourself. Uh, you can run your own website, Facebook, Twitter, all these things. Not that I have any of those things, but you could. Uh, and, but you could. <laughs> if I could you if wanted, I wanted to. to. Uh, you know, but yeah, it, it's definitely it's definitely changing around. There's there's certainly money to be made in uh, licensing and syncing, you know, television and movies. But eventually, that will change too. Um, the, the only thing that remains the same is you can always go out on the road and build a, a following that way. Yeah. It takes a long time to really make a living doing that. Um, it's possible. Now, with the Broken West, with your last situation, because that was the last time that you were out on the road, road, right? Living in a van. That's the last time I was living in a van, although Apex Manor is getting into a little bit yeah. of that van living. Yeah. Uh, and I, I hopefully, you know, one day wheelhouse too. I mean, we, it's a, we have it now to the point where, where either one of these bands can hop in the van with, you know, the musicians and go to a town and play. I mean, it's not going to really cost that much. You know, our van is paid for, our gear is paid for. Yeah. You know, all the people we're playing with kind of have a good attitude. They're not expecting to be making, you know, $2,000 a week or anything Yeah, well, like I guess that, so. that's my question is that, you know, in that situation, had you guys got to the point on tour where you were coming back with profit? Or was it pretty much so. breaking even? No. Yeah. Ross is shaking his head. No, we never we never came back with a, with profit. Yeah. We we actually amassed a ton of a, a huge pile of debt and then just lucked and lucked our way out of it by getting a song in a commercial. This basically is is kind of how I see it, right? I mean, we ended up paying off all that debt. But yeah. I don't, we paid off all the debt. I don't think we ever really were a profitable touring enterprise. No. We I mean we we would break even. What's the opposite of profitable? What's the word that you would use? Disas- you're in the, disastrous? You're disastrous. In the, uh, <laughs> being in the red, I hemorrhaging? think. Hemorrhaging? Yeah. We were in the red. We were in the red, for sure. We were paying guys. You know, we were still making a van payment, and we had a, you know, we had a credit card, and we just put all of the hotels and all the gas on this credit card. And, and you had some label support, though, too, right? Did they give you no. – Did they none at all? Not, Not really. tour support. No. A lot – you know, emotional support, though. A lot of that and also – and just – you know, just the name, just have just having their name kind of behind us was was a big help, and it opened yeah. a lot of doors for us. Um, put us in touch with all the other people that would, you know, our licensing guy, our booking guy. You know, all of that came through Merge, but they're not really they're not really a label that gives you that throws money at you because they 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 know that they probably won't be able to recoup it, yeah. and then they'll have to drop you and not be your friend anymore, which they don't want to do. Touring touring can be lucrative once you reach a certain level. You know, I've toured with bands, and I've been a technician touring with bands, live, like literally living in a coffin or like living on a bus, sleeping in a coffin sized bunk. You know, and it's a cool life. I grew mm. up like I grew up idolizing that kind of lifestyle, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, but I was at that point. I was at a level where there was a bus. Yeah. You know, at the end of the show, at the end of the night, when all was said and done, and the, the everybody's ears were ringing, and they were going out to do beer bongs in the parking lot. We, I was on the bus, and there was food waiting for me. Having showered, mm-hmm. having packed up the band's gear, Pretty and nice. we were, you know, and then we would sleep on the bus, which is kind of. It's not glamorous, but it's something to get you get yeah. used to it. You yeah. know, a couple of weeks in the in the van will make you long for that coffin sized bunk bed. Oh, totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's just it. I mean, the uh, a van makes a tour bus seem like the Nimitz. Yeah. 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 Although I have to say, I just want to say um, before I bitch too much about about the van life that the the last Apex Manor tour, which was eleven days or so, but that was as positive a touring experience uh, that you could ever have, van van or not. There's a good group of dudes and uh, just a lot of laughs. And, and really, you know, it was 
it was pretty tight, you know. We were staying in some some kind of motel sixes and stuff like that and, and rolling around in this van with five five dudes, but it was good. It's about as good as that can go. So I'm getting less bitter about that. How did you manage the music that you played in the van? Was this something you traded off the iPod duty or, I mean, was everyone's taste similar enough that you didn't fight about it? You know, I, it's a lot of the time, uh, you know, whoever is driving just gets to pick. And if someone really doesn't like it, you know, you can, you can just put on your headphones and just kind of forget about it. But, uh, you know, if someone says, you know, that was, that was kind of like, one of the things about this group of guys is if someone says, hey, I got this thing, I want to play it, you know, we just put it on and listen to it. Never want to yeah. listen to it. And it was just, you know, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, music judgment and yeah, there's all like, that. Yeah, there's always some dude in the band who wants to play Brian Ferry over and over again. Right. <laughs> well, we have Andy Creighton in the band who really is, uh, he's kind of shameless and kind of just exposes us to whatever kind of weird sci-fi, um, you know, math rock, kind of stuff that he's into a lot of stuff you're right you're right heap on the last tour yeah you're right it gets heap, a lot worse uh, than you're right oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. a lot of early genesis and just a lot of this kind of um this kind of real proggy stuff that i i haven't really been exposed to previously so it's it's opening my eyes you know yeah. at first I, i'm kicking and screaming but i think it's at the same time it's 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 changing me it all it all goes in there somehow or another and it, it comes out and that's you know I've, I've got you know my list of things i wanted to talk about like when I was listening to your music, you know, I know a little bit of your history. I know you grew up listening to like rock, rock, you know, classic rock, everything else. There was no indie scene when we were young, really. I mean, there were independent bands, but it wasn't like it wasn't indie with a capital I the way it is now. Mm. It wasn't a thing like the way alternative became a thing, too. Like at one point it was everything. They didn't know what bin to put it in. And then it became like Bush um, or whatever. Yeah, Bush. Yeah. Those, that's, those guys. Yeah. yeah. It kind of became that thing. So. Like, you know, you may laugh, but like I was listening to your record and I like I'd be I was washing dishes sometime when I was listening to it. And I, and I was in my room and then I was in my truck and like I heard, of course, you know, Beatles stones, kind of the obvious bread and butter. Like, you know, like the the base malt is what we'd say in brewing. Eighty percent of your music is made of this. Right. <laughs> yeah. But then like I'd be listening and I'd be like, man, that that sounds like ELO. You know, and that's uh, you know, and that's really, really interesting to me to hear that coming out of you know someone who that was a long, it was before my time and pretty much before yours too. And then the funniest one I think you may hear is like at one point I was listening and I heard like you sounded like Brad Delp from Boston. Oh wow, <laughs> a tragic figure. A tragic figure. The only guy in history who I think died committed suicide by Weber Grill. Oh man, how did that? How did he do that? He locked himself. This is actually very tragic. I mean, no, I, know, yeah, I knew he, I knew he killed himself. I, he, we didn't read about this on the death. He, ride, yeah, <laughs> he was in his house. I guess you know he, he wanted to kill him. He yeah. was very he was very circumspect about it. He he put notes like on his front door, like he had the whole thing planned out. I guess he had a note on his front door saying something to the effect of, "You'll you find know, me. In you will find me in here. Oh I, my god, I will be in the garage." With the car running. If I'm not in the garage, I will be upstairs in the bathroom. Hey, do you guys think Tom Schultz killed him? <laughs> <laughs> but he, I, he, I don't think he was even... Because all that, when you, as soon as you start talking about post-its and organization, I'm thinking you start of thinking Tom, Tom Schultz. Schultz. Yeah. yeah, the guy builds amplifiers. He thing. would have triple-tracked it, though, if he could. <laughs> <laughs> we got to talk about something else. <laughs> at the minimum. So wait, so sorry, get back to the... What, what's with the grill? He, he, was, he was upstairs. He, he, the car, first, he abandoned the car idea. Yeah. The car was in the, in the garage. But he went upstairs, 
lit a Weber grill yeah. in a closed bathroom that yeah. then just literally asphyxiated himself. It like sucked all, you know, he ate up all the air, oxygen in the room, and died of asphyxiation. Oh my goodness! Oh lord! I mean. It makes me wish I had queued up more than a feeling because that was like the number one record at every high school party I went to in Batavia High School when I was in high school. You had to play, you had to play Steve Miller's Greatest Hits, Boston One, and Bob Marley's Legend. Yeah. Or just forget <laughs> it. That was what you had to now, play. Now, is this in the in the cover band or just on the stereo? No, no, this was on the stereo. On oh, the stereo, yeah. Because I was going to say, covering Boston's no joke. No, singing, well, that's what, that's, I mean, this is a big tip of the hat to you, man. I mean, so, so, sounding like Brad Delp, it oh, takes man. some doing. No, well, thank you. That's great. Well, you know what? Like you say, it all it all goes in there. Um, it, all, it all goes in there, and I and you know I've heard Boston so much, you know bands like that, Boston and Journey. That while they are not my favorite bands, they're they're so ubiquitous on the radio, classic rock radio. That I'm sure that it it sneaks in there, whether I like it or not. Yeah, and it really and it's something that you know you certainly share with those bands and other like rock bands because you really you're someone who really really cares about melody. Building a song, constructing a song is an art form, and it's something that I can tell, you know, even the few times I've listened to this stuff, that you've really taken that to heart. You've really taken stock in that. I mean, talk, I mean, what's your, what's your writing process? I mean, well, that was a big thing. Melody was a big thing in the Broken West, and that was kind of where that came from. My, my big thing, you know, obviously done a lot of roots, Americana type stuff, and as a kid was really into Chuck Berry. Elvis, um, Little Richard, Buddy Holly. And, you know, of all those guys, the big melody guy is Buddy Holly. And so that was, that was probably where that started. Um, but, you know, like I say, in, you know, Broken West was a real melody based band. And, uh, I would say Eugene Edwards was definitely that way too. And so that's, that's where a lot of that kind of influence came from. Um, you asking about my writing process? Yeah. Just, you know, you, for someone who serves the melody so much, you know, do you, are you the kind of guy who like sits around in your house and, you know, tinkers with your guitar or are you like walking down the street and like a melody kind of pops into your head or are you, or do you like play the guitar and then like you you come up with a chord change that you like and then a melody kind of superman's poses itself over that or like what's the, I mean, what's the way that you do it? It just comes, it usually comes all at once. If anything comes at the end, it's, it's lyrics, but I don't, you know, I don't sit around and, me, you know, mess around with it too much. I feel like if I sit down and start messing around, I'll already have something in my mind. And what, then I'll just sit there and finish it. How you know? do you capture it? Like the initial seed of the idea? I just try to do it right then. You uh, know? But not like, are you recording to a laptop, a four track? What's your thing? Well, you know, all these demos for this record, I actually recorded at Ross's house. I don't have a computer or any of that software. So when I had something, I would go over to Ross's and we would lay it down. I had one song that I that I literally wrote, uh, in a car, uh, just while I was driving along and I, you know, went to Ross's and, and laid down the demo on acoustic. And I mean, that really is the most important thing I think. And that's what a lot of the guys that I really like, you know, Tom Petty and Neil Young, Bob Dylan, that's, that's what they all kind of seem to do and seem to think is that, you know, when it comes to you, just get it, like, get it down right then. Cause it isn't really going to get, for me, it doesn't really get any better, or any more kind of fleshed out or closer to what it's going to be than, than right then. Which isn't to say that there's no editing or rewriting that goes on, but, you know, 
I, it, the beginning is always the best. Yeah. So I, I'm going to call an audible right now. Valentino, you, are you on, on deck here? What I'd like to play, uh, since we're talking about the process of making songs and making demos, what I'd like to play is that, uh, that demo. Uh, this is a demo of the track called Decider. So first we're going we're gonna to play two things. First we're going to play the demo of this track. Um, and this is something that you recorded at Ross's house? Yes. And this demo, you know, I wrote the song the day that this demo was recorded and, you know, I wrote the lyrics and then this, this is the first time that I sang the song is on this demo. Okay. And then why don't we just hear a little bit of that and we'll, we'll talk through it a little bit. And who's on drums? Uh, well, that is a computer on drums. That's a uh, drum loop that Ross came up with. This is how it goes a lot of time when we're, uh, you know, working together. Is you come up with the the drum loop and then just play over it. You just jam over it. Let's listen a little. Okay, so when you're tracking this, uh, we'll keep it going. You, so you're playing guitar. Did you do this at the same time, or did you lay a bass over it? Yeah, no, it wasn't at the same time. I think that what we did was we ran the drum machine, and uh, I played, I played guitar. I think, and I might have done the vocal at the same time, like, you know. But I think that I might have gone back. I think I did a scratch vocal, and so after that, we did the bass, a second guitar. And then the actual vocal that, that's on here. Is this a Pro Tools thing? Uh, Logic. Logic. Okay. This is all on Logic, yeah. which is a, all those the drum loops are in Logic, which is great. I mean, it's a Logic is a great yeah. program. It's very for, very powerful. Those of you again who aren't producers, engineers, musicians, we're talking about nonlinear recording software. It's kind of like GarageBand on steroids yeah. for those of you who don't have any of those things. And Pro Tools is probably the most well known, but Logic is also very 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 capable. Yeah. So. And Valentino, I'm sorry, the CD is skipping. I, I, just, I, had to, I had to dig this out from under some couch cushions today or something like that. So. It was propping up the corner of your couch because it was on. Yeah, on. yeah, it was down there with the popcorn and the pennies and everything. Okay, once we, we'll, we'll get rid of that. So, then, so, okay, so you do that, right? And then it, obviously it's good. And then you go back and worked up some more lyrics. and That one was really good. And that's, that's one where I didn't really think of it too much at the time. I kind of, I put it down. That was the lyric is unedited. Um, you know, we ended up adding a, a bridge to it, which you'll hear when we play the the finished version. But I didn't think about it too much. I didn't really think. And then I got a really good response from everyone that I played it for. When we started playing it live, I just got I got a great great response on that particular song. And you know, you're probably you write songs you're probably like this too. It's like that song is so simple. Yeah that I kind of figured that it wasn't anything. Yeah. Because I figured it was so simple that it had no meaning or, or this or that. And, and uh, you know, sometimes those are the ones that just, you know what I mean? My that, Sharona and all those kinds of songs are just so stupidly simple. Supposedly, uh, Every Breath You Take by The Police, which sold a lot of records, was, I've re- Sting has said in interviews that it took, it took as long to write it as it does to play it. <laughs> like, they just did it, and it was done, and that was that. Well, he's a modest man, Sting. You gotta hand it to him. I've heard that about a criminal you, by Fiona Apple. Also. Are you talking about the tantric sex? Yeah. Or are you talking about no? Just that statement alone. Like it took me as long to write it as it takes to play it. I mean, that's but it's simple though. It's an elemental song. You know, there's not the chord changes are relatively simple. I mean, you've got your um, 
what's his name guitar players uh, Andy Summers. Andy Summers. Summers. I was gonna well, call him. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna call Sting out on that because I think that while it's probably true of the verse, I think that the uh, I think he probably spent a lot of time on that bridge. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've written a few bridges myself, and I, you know. It's not easy. The bridge or the middle and the bridge, eight. And the bridge in the middle eight of that song is, uh, is is pretty darn good. Yeah. It's a great song. Yeah. I can't, I can't no, take anything away song. from the police at all. I can't take anything away from it. So let's so now let's let's do this. So then now we've talked a little bit about the demo. Tell me just a little how long how much time elapsed between the demo and the actual recording of the song? Uh probably five or six months. And uh in the uh, I'm I'm gonna get screwed up on my dates here, but in the summer of I think it's the summer of two thousand nine I did a session with a couple of friends from Northern California, Lee Pardini and Kevin Higuchi, a uh, bass player and a drummer. And I had them come down here, and we went to the the uh, to Chris Furman's studio up in the valley with the porno all around. And we were up there for three or four days and cut a whole bunch of stuff. And I had sent them these demos, and we did those songs and the new songs. And that was really when the – that was when I kind of knew that I had a band and a project and that I actually had something. And you were self-financing this? Uh yeah, I was non-financing it. I I haven't I haven't really financed anybody or anyone yet. Did a little this, porn this work on the side. A porn work on the side, yeah, top and bottom. No, I I definitely. <laughs> it's a family show, man. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, this is a family show. I'm sorry, kitties out there in Radio Land. Um, but no, I mean I. I that's when I knew that I had. That's when I knew that I had something. Uh, we we did a bunch of songs, and you know I remember uh, Chris Furman, who's the the engineer and the you know, co-producer of this record, uh, saying you know the energy that these guys brought was just incredible. You know they're a couple of young guys. They're they're like I say they're from Northern California, so they don't have that kind of jaded LA attitude. They they were really excited. What do you mean? Yeah, they didn't care. They didn't care about money. Uh, they were psyched to be in Van Nuys, uh, which you know who isn't. Yeah, <laughs> they were psyched to be there, and you know we just we had a we had a great time cutting this stuff. We were there for three days. We cut like ten songs, and and this was the one. This was the one right here. Okay, so let's play it. This is the uh, version, uh, pretty close to the version that will wind up on the album when it comes out. When you've got a name, what I'd love to have you do. I mean, I'll invite you right now when the record comes out. I'd love you to come back on the show. We'll oh, have you play some more. Maybe no bring, I'd love to do that. bring some more musicians. We'll we'll do it up now. We'll do it up nice. We'll get the chandelier okay. in here. The Oompa Loompas. The whole yeah, nine we yards. gotta get the chandelier so we can swing from it. Exactly. So, and this is Decider from uh, Brian Whelan and Wheelhouse.
That is the de facto single from what will be Wheelhouse's first record, their debut record, although Brian Whelan is no stranger to records, no stranger to playing shows with lots of different people. But this is his own band, out of the, out of the shadows and into the spotlight. This is his new band, Wheelhouse. And you're listening to Independence Day. Every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m., my name is Joe Armstrong. I will be your host who will lead you through the wild and woolly Los Angeles music scene. So again, we have... We have Brian Whelan and also Ross Flournoy here in the studio. Very happy to have both of them here tonight. And you've brought a guitar that was Decider, the single, as it were, maybe the big iTunes single, let's hope. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, maybe we'll see that on a Hyundai commercial sometime soon. Yeah, that would be great. With the Jeff, take with the Jeff Bridges voiceover, that's what I want to see. <laughs> so, all right, so now you've got a guitar here, and tell me, uh, I'd like you to play a couple songs if you were amenable to that. Tell me uh, what I, you're, just, I would love to do that. Tell me what you're going to play, and then play it. I'm gonna play uh, one of the one of my more recent songs. This is called "Who's Foolin' Who." Uh, this is uh, actually uh, very much inspired by Dwight Yoakam, um, his style of music. I, I've been into I've been into his stuff since I was 14, 15 years old, and uh, that's it. Definitely seeped in um, to this song, and I, I wrote this song uh, sneaking around in the bushes outside of my ex-girlfriend's house uh, so it's kind of a it's kind of a stalker love song kind of like every breath you take <laughs> and with that you ready yeah we certainly are all right rock it Red wine and glasses, the lights are down low Looks pretty good from outside your window There's little you can say, even less you can do Well baby, who is fooling who? She caught the Katie, it caught up 
with me Give me a black eye no one can see Now I'm hiding out in an underground room Baby, who is fooling who? If I knew how to shake you off, I probably would I forget everything about you, baby If I only could You put it on you, you put it on me Your sweet top lip is my best enemy Touch of the yellow to bring out the blues Baby, it's fooling who? of the yellow to bring out the blues baby is fooling who very nice my friend i would give anything to have an audience in here right now because that is a performance worthy of screaming chicks all right well thank you it sounds fantastic we can honestly always pretend i again I, I i can't i can't tell you how happy i am to see you finally fronting your own thing because oh, well, I've, I've known you for a while i know how talented you are you're still talented no matter who you're standing behind but you know it's it's great to see you out in front having some other dudes standing next to you and behind you yeah well and like we were saying yeah i i think the time was time was right for me to have dudes standing behind me and, and I, for me not to be standing behind dudes anymore. A close friend of mine, uh, a guy who played on, on my both uh, my first record, I think, Pedal Steel guy, excellent, really close friend of mine, uh, or good friend of mine, John Piricello, uh, plays with a Chicago band named John, or uh, rather Nicholas Tremulous, another guy named Brad Peterson, and got a gig, well, he, he got a gig with Keith Richards playing in Keith Richards' side project band. This is the second week in a row he's come up. But so he knows Keith, which is great. But then through that, he almost got the gig playing in Dylan's band, being like a utility steel mandolin guitar guy. He's very talented. So it's like that's how it happens. You know people, and they oh hey you know I'm I'm going on vacation, and I, and Bob needs someone to fill in. So right. Well, you know. I'm, yeah. No, you're right. That's the only way that any of that stuff ever happens because you know you can't you can't just go up to these people and tell them 
hey, I'm right. good. I want to be in your band. Like, Nor is it like Monster.com where you submit a resume and, you oh, know, no, no, I no. mean, maybe the Miami Sound Machine gig is like that, but the rest of them are no, not. No, no, it's not like that. And certainly, yeah, my, um, you know, I've had, had some, you know, family members or, and, and friends that are not in the business kind of asked me that before saying, you know, how, well, how come you can't just, how come you can't just like go up to these people and tell them, you know, and I, and I guess the answer is that, uh, people do that all the time and they're full of it. Yeah. And so now no one listens to it. No one believes anybody. You have yeah. to get recommended by somebody else who's literally seen you play and knows you're not some kind of a clown. Yeah. Or at least a clown who can play. Right. Exactly. And with that, let's say, uh, would you like to play another tune? I, w- I would love for you to play another tune. I would love to play another tune. <clears throat> I'm going to play symbiosis. one. I'm going to play one uh, by my friend Tony Gilkison that I've recorded. I'm going to put it on my record. What do you play in his band? Uh, I've played a lot of bass in his band, and when I am lucky, I get to play guitar, and that band gets to play second guitar uh, and get a free lesson, and uh, and Rob Douglas plays bass, who's the bass player for Wheelhouse. Excellent. So what? this is a Tony Gilkison song, you said? This is a Tony Gilkison song. It's called Mojave High. All right. Lay it on us, man. All right. Desert where the lonely go Follow 95 along the Colorado To my home It's home I love these hills with no lights Know what it's like to be alone I'm going to Mojave High People here think life passes us by But it's home It's home no, I'll never leave it Don't have the heart to roam yeah, Living out here is like living on the moon I want to stay when I graduate in June Won't miss the hours, I won't miss the rules I'll miss my old school Ooh, I drive the same car that my daddy drove Now I go to places he used to go It's home is home You'll never love a woman Till you take her in these hills alone
Brian Whelan on Independence Day. What's the name of that tune, Brian? That's called Mojave High by Mojave Tony High. Gilkison. By Tony Gilkison, and you play in his band. Tell me who else you play with these days. Who else have you played with recently? Who you've, what's, what's, your, what's on your resume, man? Playing with, well, with Apex Manor, with Tony, uh, and, you know, we mentioned before, I play with the Elvis impersonator all over the world in the country. That's That's been my gig for a long so time. I hate to jump in, but he doesn't like, that's not what he likes to be called, though, right? Yeah, it's a it's a Elvis. It's a it's a tribute to the king. Is it Elvis Costello impersonator or Elvis Presley impersonator? <laughs> no, that's Gene. Uh, no, uh, we I, love you, Gene. <laughs> no, it's a it's a Elvis Elvis Presley impersonator. And Gene, Eugene Edwards is actually in that band too. It's the best rockabilly. So it's, it's, it's the, the best, best rockabilly of both worlds. Yeah. It's got Elvis Costello and Elvis Presley in the same band. That's right. Well, you know, it's like the best rockabilly band money can buy. It's really, I'm, it's I'm surprised great. no one has done that yet. That seems like such an obvious thing that someone would do. I mean, they had Dread Zeppelin. You know, they've got all these like AC, AC he, she with the what girls. What you call Elvis Squared, something like that. Yeah, the, the Elvises or the Elvis Brothers or who knows. But it, it seems the so Elvis obvious. Brothers. <laughs> it seems so obvious. That's a great band name. And there's, there's, Get online, find out if anyone has that. The Elvis Brothers. Yeah, there's my uh, there's my ticket to my bus right there. Yeah, I like that. I don't <laughs> think the I... ticket to the bus. I'm gonna start using that. I'm gonna be like, hey man, you're the ticket to my bus. That's it. You're you're my you're my you're my uh, golden arrow. I like that. So all right, so that's a Tony Gilgeson song. We've, we've, we're going a little long tonight again because we can do that. We're practicing guerrilla radio here on Lancer Radio. We got the thumbs up from our engineer, Mr. Valentino Rivera. All right. Best looking guy in the room, except for the other two guys in the room. Uh, so I, I play something else of yours. I mean, I was going to play. I mean, I, I would lo- love to suggest if I can make a request. We were going to play. Uh, what's the? We were going to play nickel and dime. Is that something you can do on your own? Does that work on the guitar? Can you get enough? Volume absolutely, with that? absolutely. And I actually, this is the oldest song that I have in this batch of songs. And uh, I actually wrote this song one night after an Elvis gig, an Elvis, an Elvis tribute gig, Elvis, an Elvis Presley. Presley tribute game. Just to be clear. Uh, and I, I, I'm sure that you'll probably hear that. You want to hear it? Want to I, play it? Yeah, Rocket right, Man. <clears throat> Look at who's shaking for free Looking for action indeed All of that cheap wealth Keep to yourself if you please Oh, what a wonderful feeling Seeing you down on your knees I can't blame you for feeling low down Waiting around like a clown In different phases Look at the grace now I found It's such a wonderful feeling Seeing you down on the ground at home looking to be shown a light a bit of melody whistle through the trees nothing we do could be 
nickel and dime I pick up what's left of your pride There's no use complaining You're just a waste of my time Ain't got no reason Just waiting for me on the line at home looking to be shown alive a bit of melody whistle to the trees nothing will do to be right and now you want a nickel and dime pick up what's left of your pride no use complaining, you're just a waste of my time. Ain't got no reason, just waiting for me on the line. Yeah, man. Sounds fantastic. Oh, I, thank I, you, man. Your, again, your influences are, are obvious in the best way possible. Oh, cool. That's great. It's a great you know, compliment. It's, uh, it's a melting pot, and you, you, you combine these different things, the amalgam of all the things you've ever heard, and they come out, and they, and they, sound, they sound really, 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 really good. So, and thank you very much for bringing the guitar. Oh, man, anytime. I, I, I would not miss it. Thank I you. think this is a great thing you're doing over here. I think this is a wonderful this is a wonderful idea. Thank I hope it goes on and on and on. Yeah, man. Well, you know, again, thank you for being here. I'm humbled by all the musician friends I know and I'm I'm honored that they're willing to come be part of this because it's music is something that means more to me ostensibly than anything that's ever meant anything to me. Um I it's what I think about when I wake up, what I think about when I go to bed, it's what I think about when I'm supposed to be doing other things and uh, I'm I'm just very very happy that I'm able to share my love for this and all of everyone else's love for this yeah, so it's a wonderful thing and you're great at it too you i think you found found a great calling here for yourself <laughs> thank you if i can only parlay into my bus i'll be uh if you can parlay <laughs> into a bus that lot not too many radio guys get a bus but everyone i bet howard while. stern has a bus yeah, sure yeah <laughs> you think mark maron has a bus <laughs> but howard stern oh, he gets, deserves one <laughs> howard stern sure. gets whatever he wants so all right so let's just let's just talk for a little while longer uh you know we, we've like i said we've got a few extra minutes and this is such a wonderful conversation again i'm thank thank you for being here so um you, you know you spend a good amount of time on the road surely you know what give me a, f a couple like a quick couple quick road stories like the good the bad the ugly you know something that's especially oh, you know oh, it's you know we can go I mean, you can go pg-13 maybe r you know hookers and blow the whole i don't have anything uh under r uh no i'm just kidding i i uh i, I doubt that oh man you know I have to say, just just to keep it kind of clean, and, and Ross, I'm sorry, we're not we're not going to tell any of our special stories here tonight. But I I think uh, no Van Nuys touring story. Yeah, no, nothing Van Nuys. I, I gotta say, you know, 
I gotta say, well, you said the good, the bad, and the ugly, and I, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start with a good story, just because. And we we were busting Gene's balls earlier, but I want to say that Gene took me. Um, Gene took me to the UK for the first time. I'd never I'd never been there before. I actually haven't really been there since. And I played a gig with Gene at the Cavern in Liverpool. Is it a whole band? It was a full band. It was Ted Russell Camp and Soupy Sessa on drums. It was a great band and a great tour. Both L.A. legends. Both L.A. legends and the, one of one of the one of the greatest gigs I've ever had. And it was uh, it was all because of Gene. Uh, I would say uh, for for bad, um, I went to I went to Malaysia with the Elvis Presley tribute oh, band Lord. Uh, last December and just try tried manfully to have a good time and just. Just could not could not get over the jet lag. Could not get into the food. You know, the promoter took our passports and wouldn't give it back. It was just it was. A, How did you get them back? I think he thought we were going to lose them. He gave them back to us on the last day when he paid us. He gave us an envelope full of cash with our passports. <laughs> making, in it. making sure you're not going to skip the country with uh, with his money. Or? I think I think he was worried that someone was going to lose a passport and that he was going to have to scramble yeah. and get one just to get us the hell out of his country well, in in his defense musicians are uh let's say not the most responsible that's no that's that's very true i can understand what he was saying but you know for me i, I was a little kind of miffed and gene was gene was on the warpath he was ready to kill yeah. the guy <laughs> I, I would find that very disconcerting being in malaysia well, and having someone gene confiscate even, my passport gene never gets messed up like gene's a very responsible guy he's not going to lose his passport he keeps it in like a, a thing that's like tied around his neck you know what i mean sorry you should can you should tell him what that promoter's name was oh his uh, the promoter's name was captain Wee. yeah yeah captain Wee, scotty yeah. Captain. Yeah, no, he was. That was that was Captain rough. Wee. Captain Wee. That was that was crazy times. I'm not sure if I'm going back. Yeah. Are, are you? Was there like an invitation to go back? Was there a question that you Scott, were going yeah, well, back? Well, it, it, it remains to be seen. Although Scott, who's who's the Elvis uh, the Elvis guy, he's he's been over there a dozen Scott times. Scott Costello Presley. Scott Costello <laughs> Presley. His name's Scott Bruce, and he he's been over there a dozen times, and he, you a know, dozen. He's been there a dozen times. He's been there, you know, once a year since 98 or 97 or something. He goes all the time. And this was the first time that he brought the band. And it was such a disaster with the band and Captain Wee. I, I, don't, I don't know if we are going back, but uh, I, I'm sure that Scott will, Scott will probably get to go back at the very least. And yeah. that's the thing that matters. <laughs> we need to get the Malaysians there. Their their yearly Elvis fix, you know what I mean? Well, surely there's there's got to be a Malaysian Elvis impersonator. I mean, the guy's the guy's ubiquitous. I can do you one better than that. There was another American Elvis impersonator there when we were there. Did you guys <laughs> Did you guys rumble? Uh, I, we almost did. Got pretty awkward in the airport with two Elvis impersonators shaking hands, being watched by you know four hundred Malaysian people. Isn't that a sign of the apocalypse? <laughs> or like, doesn't it open up a portal into a parallel universe where? Uh, I don't know what it means. It's terrifying. I will say that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you lived to tell. So that's the good and the bad. Give me now. You got. Give, I mean, I guess that was pretty ugly too. But there's got. I mean, give, give me. Give me. Ugly give me some misery. <sighs> some real misery. Well, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna keep it clean. But I would say that the the most miserable time. Um, one of the one of the more miserable moments that I had was actually with with Ross here in the Broken West, and we we drove through the state of Utah, north to south, through the desert. It took many a weary hour, and the whole time Ross was reading us Wikipedia entries about rock stars who had died. Who committed suicide. Who committed suicide. And so it was called the, the drive, 
you know, drive of death, the drive of pain or whatever. And we just, we heard the, what do we hear? Gin Blossoms, uh, the guy from Cheryl oh, Crow's yeah. band who killed himself. Michael Hutchins. You oh, know, about Badfinger? All yeah, Badfinger. well, Badfinger, that's the worst one of all. The Badfinger story is, is just hard. I thought that guy was still alive. I saw somebody from Badfinger play a show in St. Charles, Illinois. Mm, was not any of the main Well, it was, it was not like, any it of was the like, no, it, was, it, was, it was one guy, old guy with a British accent. And, I mean, this was years and years ago, yeah. but it was one guy with a British accent and like three Berkeley cats. Yeah. playing playing uh the two main songwriters song. both killed themselves it's a pete tragic and, story and pete ham and, um, and the other guy what was the other guy's I name i can't remember it's so sad they both hung themselves and they were oh. and it was basically because they were both depressed because their managers and agents stolen had all stolen money. all their money yeah. and gone to antigua or whatever i mean yeah, and so they sad. just they were just a couple of sad pete ham i think hung himself in his garage and like he had like two kids that yeah were like they had five kids i mean it's it it so, like the saddest story but anyway this uh, drive went on and on and we just kept, and ross kept reading us these <laughs> the stories more, more depressing yeah and just... we started off with kind of the more the, the less well-known uh kind of stories and then kind of eventually we were just we were loving the pain so much we did kurt cobain you and worked your way up stories. to like yeah, yeah. bon scott and yeah and yeah, bonzo bon bon scott. bonham Bonner. Well, with Bon Scott, it's not so sad because you get the feeling that even he didn't really care that he was dying. He maybe I mean? might have not even noticed. He was singing. I about think it. I heard some story about that recently. That he he really went out like in a blaze of glory. I mean, it's like I think it was I think it was this at like vomit asphyxiation or whatever the name for that is. Sure. But it was something. About, I mean, he'd been partying his. Parting his yeah, he'd been partying off really hard. and was just having a great time. So I think he might have gone out really. On literally on top, just having a great time. Yeah, yeah and that's like John Entwistle. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can't. You it's know not what, really man? A sad story. Like but, he, he would not shed a tear. No. That is absolutely unreal. That's hookers and blow. Literally, I I remember blow. reading that or hearing it on the news and getting the details of that and thinking, that's you go, man. Yeah. And that's what Roger Daltrey said. They yeah. like, they were like, what are you saying? You're giving for your friend? He's like, oh, not exactly. <laughs> John Entwistle, the bass player, legendary bass player from The Who, Boris the Spider, the whole nine yards with his long-ass finger standing next to the drum riser, playing essentially lead bass in The Who, uh, died What probably, what, six it was years 02. ago? Oh, was it a little yeah, longer? It's been, than it's been a long time. Yeah, it's actually okay, kind of, now it's been a long so time. It seems like it was just yesterday. It, was the, it, is, it was the night before the tour was supposed to begin. They were right. They were staying. <laughs> they they in were in a, Vegas. They were in Vegas, yeah. staying in a hotel, and he died in a hot, as I understand it, he died oh, in a hot tub with chicks, like naked chicks on either side of him, and you know, hookers, blow, coke, who knows what Just else. Literally, I mean, yeah, it was cocaine in his system. Yeah. He'd been doing blow. He was, you know, well, the guy was probably sixty something at the time. Because I didn't feel a thing. <laughs> I, well, I hope he felt something. <laughs> but. The good stuff before, you know. Yeah. Well, and again, I mean, uh, if I if I had a pint, I would be raising a pint to John Entwistle right now because that that might be the best yeah. rock star death story I've ever heard. I mean, a, a tragedy just the same, but you couldn't ask. You know, it's like that. What's that Monty Python where you get to choose your death? From the from the meaning of life, and that guy gets chased off the cliff by the a group of topless women chasing him. I mean, anyway, I, I will leave it at that. I'm going to get in trouble if I say any more. But uh, so I, I think you know we'll probably wrap it up pretty much here. And again, I I can't thank you guys enough for coming by. You know, that's this is the show's going really great, and and having artists like you on here is what makes the show great. Otherwise, it would just be me here yammering. And God knows I would do it and probably could do it, but it's a lot less interesting because I hear myself talk all the time. <laughs> all day. Yeah. Well, so. it is my honor to be here, and and any, I mean, I'd love to come back when the record's done. And I, I, I think that you're, you have found a, 
a good niche for yourself. Thanks, man. I, I appreciate it. it. So, so keep us, you know, definitely keep me posted. Keep us posted here at the Independence Day World Headquarters on on what's going on with the record. You know, if you've got more, you know, tracks, you know, bring them in because I'll play random tracks from time to time. Send me tracks um, if you're willing to do that. You know, I'll plug shows you're doing. Um, you know, I'm working on doing a best of thing for the end of the year, maybe a, like a concert where I get a lot of you guys together, and I'll talk to you about that too. Um, so, you know, consider yourself a friend of the show. Thanks for coming Excellent. in, both to you and to Ross. And who are the other guys? It's uh, on bass, Rob Douglas. On bass, Rob Douglas, and on drums, the great Derek Brown. And they will fit in this room, so next time I will, we'll try to work out a way to get him in here. All right, we, we'll do it. We'll play some rock and roll here. So, again, uh, you know, I'm going to leave you here in just a second. This is Independence Day. My name is Joe Armstrong, where we talk about the changing face of the music business. We're on every Wednesday night here on Lancer Radio. And this is 89.1 FM if you're in the Pasadena area. Also streaming live at lancerradio.org. Uh, one of the things, uh, I've, I have a tra- little new tradition we've started is uh, I try to find something common ground. There's a lot of common ground between our musical tastes. But For sure. Uh, I asked Brian what his, you know, what music he grew up with, you know, what was his favorite band growing up, and you said Buddy Holly and the Crickets, correct? Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any of that in my collection. So, the, what I, so I asked him a second question. What, you know, what band or artist would be, what would you be embarrassed if, like, your friends or your people found out that you like to listen to? And he said, Sublime. And I actually had some, I, I feel very much the same way about Sublime. <laughs> so, so, and I, and I, I actually have, I, I ripped the CD from somewhere, and I've got a track on that. So I'm going to leave you with that. This is our ride-out music. So, in closing, thank you to Brian Whelan and Ross Flournoy of Wheelhouse, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley and Wayne Topinski, and to Valentino Rivera and Will Beeson, and, and who's our engineers here tonight, and from Lancer Radio. Tune in again next week, 7 o'clock, as per usual. Tune in again next week to hear performer, producer, engineer, actor, voiceover artist, radio personality, and all-around character Robbie Rist. For Independence Day, I'm Joe Armstrong. Be good to one another.